Okay, show of hands. How many of you have ever been guilty of any of those things? Come on now. Yeah. You know what I love about this video is Frip, man. <laughs> what the H, yo? <laughs> I love this because here's, here's why we're showing this is every church has culture. We have language. We have insider words. We have things that are part of who we are. And that's not unique to us. This is not only unique to our time. Even in the Bible, churches had culture. And as we look at this, we're going to be exploring and starting a new series. I'm going to talk about that more in a, in a second here. But that's part of the reason why we show, showed the video. If you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And on behalf of our staff and all those who call this home, we just want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. Can we just give a big thank you? I don't know where Sean and Ashley are, but can we give a big thank you to them? Um, so excited to have them this week. And uh, God is just doing some really cool things. Uh, we finished our series called Tove, and where we were exploring kind of our new values, kind of what we're trying to become as a church. And if you're not, if you don't remember or aren't familiar, the word Tove is Hebrew for good. And the idea is that we want to bring good into the world, not just be good and do good, but we want to bring it God's goodness. And as we looked at it, we kind of have these three values that we're really trying to encompass that we want to inhabit, which is belong, believe. And become. And so as we finished that series, we were praying and talking as a staff, and we started looking at what do we want to do? How do we continue to move in this? And what was laid on my heart, and, and I'm so grateful for our staff, um, I shared some, some thoughts and some vision and some things I felt like the Lord was doing, and we really felt like the Lord was leading us into a time where we wanted to explore books of the Bible. Specifically, the letters. Now, uh, they're called epistles, and epistle is just a real fancy word for letter. Um, but in them, we're going to see the culture of the church. And we're going to look at how these churches, kind of the space they inhabited, what was happening in them. But more importantly, what happened there still applies to us today. Now, I'm going to give you a promise, okay? This isn't going to be a class or a lecture. There's still going to be preaching and teaching, and we're going to be looking at the heart. But what we're trying to accomplish is realizing is that the things that were happening 2,000 years ago then are still happening today. They just look a little, dif a little different. How many of you would agree with that? We're still, the, the problems are still the same. They've just changed shape a little bit. And so as we looked at these and we started kind of processing through our core values, we started with the book of Galatians because here's the thing. Galatians is ultimately a book about belonging. And what does it mean to be a part of the church? And there's a lot of other themes, and you're going to see belong, believe, and become kind of running, peppered throughout the book of Galatians. Now, if you got that booklet, if you didn't get one, I want to encourage you to do it. Big thank you to all of our staff who worked hard to put that booklet together. Can we give a thank you to them? Um, and here's why I want you to have these, okay? Please don't just leave these here. Bring them home. There's journaling opportunities, things for notes and messages. We really do want to become people of the Word. We want to become people of God's book. And as we're doing this, I encourage you, don't just take down notes like, oh, that was an intriguing fact. But more specifically, I want to hear what God is doing in you, how God is stirring in you. Because as we're reading through these letters, these epistles to these churches, we have to realize that the church was a little bit different then than it is now. That Paul, who wrote most of the letters of the New Testament, he wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament are, uh, are associated with this guy named Paul. Okay? 
the churches, there was no like First Baptist Church of Galatia or Zion Lutheran Church of Ephesus. There were no cool churches names like Harvest or River City or The Edge or Elevation or Bethel. Those names didn't exist. What they were were communities that met in homes or in public spaces, and they were called the churches of Galatia, thus Galatians, the church of Ephesus, the church of Colossae, the church of Philippi. And these churches were filled with real people, with real issues. Now, where we get this word church is interesting. It actually comes from this word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Ecclesia, okay? Now, we associate this word with church, but it actually can mean any type of gathering. And it's interesting, the word ecclesia has a bunch of different meanings to it. And the idea is this, an ecclesia is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place or assembly. Now, we've made it, the ecclesia is the church. We all move from our homes and come here. But it can also be an assembly meeting in a public space. Anytime you get a group of people together, that's ecclesia. A group united around a purpose or a cause. How many of you have been to the surf ballroom for a concert? You just did church. <laughs> that's all church is. Church is just a gathering. So when people come together, no matter who or what you worship, whether you're worshiping rock and roll or worshiping Jesus, when you gather as a people for a purpose, that's church. Now, here's one of my favorite definitions of the word ecclesia, and it's one we don't think about. A sudden, chaotic, and unexpected, unexpected gathering of people. In other words, a mob is a church. That's what this word ecclesia is. And so Paul is writing to these churches, these gatherings of believers who are gathering together to worship Jesus, to be more like Jesus, to fellowship and do life together like Jesus. This is who he's writing to. These are real people. Now, when we look at the birth of the church, the church didn't start off as a denomination or a structure. It started more like an organism. It was a movement centered around the message of Jesus. This movement began with people inviting their neighbors into their house, inviting them to do life. And as they encountered this community that was different than the world around them, people started hearing the message of Jesus and becoming Christians, followers of Christ. The early church was actually called the way originally. And eventually they became called Christians. Now, with the exceptions of the first four books of the New Testament, all of the other books in the New Testament were written to churches or church leaders. So with the exception of the first four books of the gospel, every other book in there is written either one to a church leader or to a church itself. And they would gather around these letters, and these letters were like sermons. But here's the problem. How many of you have ever been texting with a friend before, and all of a sudden you get a random text a little bit later that makes no sense to you whatsoever? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever been the one who accidentally sent the text? You thought you were sending it to your spouse or your friend, and all of a sudden somebody gets it like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. And here's the problem when we read books like Galatians. We only have half of the letter, half of the context. See, the books of the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. Paul was actually writing to real people with real issues, with their own culture, their own stuff going on. And what we tend to do, and this is the problem we have with modern reading, is we tend to read Scripture in bite-sized chunks and life verses or verses we put on posters or on cups. And what we do is we miss the context, much like getting a text message with only 
half of the information having no clue what it's going to. And this is part of the difficulty is that this is often how we teach church. So what we want to do is we're going to go through these books called Passports, Passports to Galatians, Passport to Ephesus, Passport to Colossians and Philippians. By the way, can I give you guys a, a really cool way to remember the four books of the first four epistles? You guys ready for this? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Gentiles eat pork chops. You're welcome. <laughs> That's how you remember it. If you'll never forget that again, Gentiles eat pork chops. It's true. They're the only ones who eat pork chops. Uh, and, and, and so here's the thing. When we read the Bible, part of our problem is we can over-romanticize Scripture, including the churches they were written to and the people who are in it. When I was in, uh, when I was in school, I, we had this guy in my class who was obsessed with the home church. And he kept on saying, you know, these modern churches, this denomination stuff, that's so unbiblical. We need to get back to the house church model. We need to get back to what the early church was. That's how God wants it. If you've ever read the New Testament letters to the churches, those churches were messed up, yo. They, they did not have their stuff together. And the goal is not for us to become like them, but to become like Jesus. Amen? And so as we're reading these, we don't want to over-romanticize because here's the thing. Jesus is perfect, not his people. Jesus is perfect, not his church, including this one. We have our own issues. Amen? <laughs> We have issues. Every church does because they're filled with people. Um, it's one of my favorite sayings is, I, I was looking for a perfect church. I found one, and then I went to it and ruined it. <laughs> if you're looking for the perfect church, the minute you find it, the minute you go, you've messed it all up because there are no perfect people. We just serve a perfect Jesus. Amen? And why do we need that? Because what it reminds us is that the church has always and will always be filled with broken people who don't have their stuff figured out. They don't have their theology figured out, their lives figured out. We are a people in process. And that should allow us to have grace for one another. So when we read books like Galatians, which is only a few chapters long, we're reminded of just how far we haven't come as a church, that we still have our issues. And this is why we need scripture, because God wants to speak into the issues of our culture, of our church, so that we become more like Jesus. Now, I want to speak to something that I think every person here has. The church has wounded people. There are a lot of people in this, in this room who've been wounded by the church. I've been wounded by the church, but I've also wounded people in the church, and so have you. And here's why I say that. Some people give up on church because they were hurt by it. Here's the thing. We're always going to be hurt by people because people are not perfect. Who's perfect? Jesus is perfect. And so instead of giving up on the church, you're reminded that we are all in process and it's not about the church. It's the God we worship as the church. And Galatians is going to draw us in because Paul is dealing with a church that is filled with a lot of brokenness. And there's some really misunderstanding. There's a group who doesn't like them. Now, one of the things that is unique to the Bible from any other holy scripture that I know of is the Bible is filled with, it paints itself in a bad picture. It always paints the people. The people who worship God are never put in a very good light. They're always demonstrated as being broken and in need of a Savior. 
And that's very unique because if you were going to highlight, like, if we were going to be like, hey, you should really check out this church. It's filled with awesome people who are always loving and they never complain. They never gossip. They're just wonderful people all the time. Like, that would be the billboard. And yet you read the Bible and the Bible's like, y'all dealing with gossip and anger and malice and all this stuff. And, and why does the Bible do that? Because the Bible is pointing to a reality that we often forget. Jesus is the hero. You're not the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of the story. Abraham was not the hero of the story. Moses, David, all of the apostles, none of them were the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero. He is who we're trying to become like. When we finished our series, Tove, Belong, Believe, Become, Wanting to Bring Goodness into the World, it's because we want to become more like Jesus. It doesn't mean we're perfect, only Jesus is, and I'm going to keep on saying that because I want to get this through our heads. Instead, it means learning to love as Jesus loves. So why does this matter? Well, because if Jesus is our hero, then when we read through the pages of the Bible and we're reminded by imperfect people, then we're told, guess what? God understands and we should understand that we are all imperfect. And that's why we need a Savior. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 1, or if you have your passport. We also have the, the scriptures in here as well. The entire book of Galatians is in the passport, or you can open up your Bible or your Bible app. All right, here we go. Right out the gate, we're going to talk about this guy, Paul. And I want to tell you, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about Paul's story because it matters. It matters to the writers, to the readers who are reading, but it should also matter to us. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. Paul starts off immediately, and, and here's why it starts here. Paul actually has a backstory, just like all of you do. Paul had a history. He, in fact, there were a lot of people in the church who didn't like Paul. Paul, uh, so the people who walked with Jesus, the men in particular who walked with Jesus, were called apostles. That's capital A, apostle. An apostle just means one who is sent, apostolos. And here's what they were doing. The original ones who were with Jesus, so when we read about them in the Gospels, they were all called by Jesus personally and sent out into ministry by Jesus. Paul was not. Paul actually started off as an enemy of the church. And Paul was originally, and this is a little bit of information for those of you who like information, you'll love this. Um, in, in the ancient world, most people had two names. You had your Hebrew name and you had your, your Greek name. So Jews were being occupied by Rome, and so they had their Jewish name, and then they had their Roman name because they were part of the Roman Empire. Saul was Paul's Jewish name. And so if you ever read the story of Saul, which I'd encourage you to do in Acts chapter 7 through 9, you'll see him always referred to as Saul. It's the same guy. That's his Hebrew name. When God gets a hold of Paul's life or Saul's life, he begins a new ministry to the Gentiles. And in order to relate to the Gentiles, he now starts to be called by his Roman name, Paul. So that's who Paul is, okay? So Paul starts off, he started off as an enemy of the church. He wanted to destroy the church. He actually felt it was his God-given message to get in the way of this new sect of Judaism called Christianity. Listen to what Paul writes to his spiritually adopted son, Timothy. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You know, one of the things that people often have a hard time doing is admitting their brokenness. We'll all say, like, how many of you here all agree we're all sinners? Everybody here? Anybody here not without sin? We have no problem saying that. But if I were to say, what's the most broken thing about you? What's the part of you that you have a hard time surrendering to Jesus? Most of us would be like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And it's not because we may not always know it. Sometimes it's because there's so much shame rooted in acknowledging our weakness, our brokenness. Paul was intimately aware of his brokenness and his shame from his past. He was aware of the mistakes that he's made. If we were to go around the room, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if we were to go around the room and if I were to say, tell me the worst mistake you ever made, I bet you most of us in this room probably have one of those tapes we play in our heads, right? We have that one thing that we did and we're like, ah, I just, I, I can't forget that. Paul understood this. And here's the thing, so did everybody else. See, Paul's sins were kind of on display for the church. For Paul, because he started off as the enemy of the church, not as an initial apostle, a disciple of Jesus, he was actually responsible for the first murder of a Christian. In Acts chapter 7, there's this guy named Stephen. Stephen was a man of God, loved Jesus, and was going out and preaching the gospel. And Saul goes out and he gathers a group of men together and he basically stirs them up to kill Stephen. Saul understood this. Listen to what happens. Acts chapter 7, verses 57 through 58. They've now dragged Stephen out because they caught him preaching the gospel. At this, they, the Jewish men, covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And when I say stone him, they didn't take little pebbles. They took fist-sized rocks and hurled them at him. And these rocks would cave in your skull. They'd break your arm. They would leave you bloodied and bruised and you would usually die. And in this case, Stephen does die. As they did this, they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, two things happen here. Why did they take off their coats? This is the Jewish way of saying this is going to get really messy. This is going to get bloody. They take off their coats and then they lay them at the feet of this young man named Saul, which, by the way, he was probably about 33, so young as relative, right? They lay them at his feet. And why are they doing that? What they are doing by laying the coats at Saul's feet is they're saying, hey, you may not be throwing the stone, but we're doing this on behalf of you. You're the authority. You're the reason why we're doing this. They're acknowledging that Saul is the instigator, but also the authority, the one who says it's okay to kill this man because he loves Jesus. You think Saul had some regrets in his life? In fact, a little bit later, what we see is Saul describes himself and he actually talks about how unworthy he is because of his past. But I want to say this to you right now. If you're carrying some sin, some burdens in your life, some shame, hear this. Satan wins in the life of the Christian when we assume our sins, mistakes, and our failures invalidate God's ability to use you. He wins. Every time you assume that God cannot work past your sins, your mistakes, or your failures, that somehow they invalidate you, Satan wins. 
Because the whole point of a Savior is Jesus came to redeem the broken and the lost, those who have failed, not those who are perfect. If you have your stuff together, you don't need a Savior. And Paul understood this better than most. Sadly, watching people fail has become the new American pastime. We love watching people fail in our culture today. We love seeing people, especially Christians, Non-Christians and Christians alike love seeing people of prominence fail. In fact, there's actually a term now given to it. This is a legitimate term. Here's what it's called, failure porn. There's this weird twisted thing within human nature where we like, we like to spectate and watch people fail. And inside we cheer. Now, you may not be guilty of that. I know I have. I know there have been times when I've seen someone fail and I'm like, yeah, about time. And it's that sick, twisted desire inside of us. And it's not holy. Paul was dealing with this in the church in Galatia. See, in Galatians, there were people that wanted to see Paul fail. And there are some people, I'm going to tell you right now, there are people in your life who want to see you fail. Don't hang out with those people. Don't hang out with people that are waiting and expecting you to fail. One, they're not fun to be around. But two, eventually every single one of us is going to. And so as we look at this, here's part of what Paul, why it's so important that we read books like Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, why we read First and Second Timothy, why we read the Thessalonians, Corinthians, Romans. All of these books point us to the fact that you're not alone in your need for Jesus. That our church is never going to be perfect. That our church is always going to be in the process of growing. And that's the beauty of the church and the God who loves it. Amen? So as we're reading through Galatians, we're going to get a glimpse of Paul. Listen to how Paul describes himself. And I think if you listen carefully, you might hear a twinge of maybe some shame and guilt. This is Paul actually talking to the church in Corinth. And he's referring to how he became an apostle. Because traditionally, the only way you could be an apostle is if you yourself walked with the person of Jesus. But that's not how God called Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 8-10. Last of all, Jesus appeared to me as to one abnormally born. Now, if you want a little fun homework, read Acts chapter 9. It's the whole story of Saul's conversion. But if you don't, we're going to talk about it more next week. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Do you hear that twinge of regret in how he writes? Paul understood intimately the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul carried around that heartache of the fact that he stood in the way of the church, and yet God still called him. And in fact, this man who persecuted the church would go on to become the person who built, who God used to bring Gentiles, non-Jews, into the church. We exist because of Paul's faithfulness in ministry. Think about that. This guy who really screwed up, did a lot of things wrong, but he did them, quote-unquote, for the right reasons. God used him mightily to do incredible things. Paul understood his brokenness could never trump God's grace. And that is critical for you and I because I think we still need to hear this. Now, there was this group in Galatia. They were called the Judaizers. And here's what they were. They were Jewish Christians. And in their mind, 
what they thought was, is, and this is not a far leap. I mean, I want you to think about this. If you were in the early church and you were Jewish and you were a Jewish Christian, you would probably think the same thing. It kind of went like this. Paul comes to the church in Galatia during his first missionary trip and he starts the church and it's filled with a bunch of Gentiles and a bunch of Jews get saved as well. And the Jewish Christians go, now wait a second, Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. Therefore, if somebody's need to be a Christian, they first need to become Jewish. That's not a far stretch, is it? After all, Jesus was Jew. The apostles were Jews. So if Gentiles want to be saved, they probably need to become Jews too. Uh, at the end of the summer at, at uh, Church in the Park, Pastor Derek did an amazing sermon series called Jesus Plus. How many of you guys remember that? Great sermon series. And in it, he talked about this problem, this danger of putting Jesus plus anything takes away the importance of Jesus. And the Judaizers were coming in, and they didn't believe you were saved by works. They still believed you were saved by, G by Jesus. But in order to receive that blessing, you first had to become Jewish. What did it mean to become Jewish? Well, there were three things, three signs that you knew somebody was Jewish. So if you were a Roman citizen, a Gentile, and you saw somebody, you could tell if they were a Jew or not by three things. First, what they did or did not eat. Jews couldn't eat pork. That's a bummer, because bacon is good. Bacon is tove. Maybe that should be our new shirt. Bacon is tove. <laughs> so that was the first thing. If you saw somebody eating pork, you would know immediately, not a Jew. Second, all Jews took a Sabbath. They took Saturday off to worship God. The rest of the Roman Empire did not. So if you looked around and saw some people who were sitting at home and reading Torah together or fellowshipping and not working, you would go, Jew. If they didn't do that, you'd say, not a Jew. The third one was a little bit harder to tell, but the Romans were known for their bathhouses where men would get together and be naked, and which is weird, and they'd just be naked together. I said naked, that's for, that's for, that's for Sean, because he's from Georgia. Naked, not naked, naked. They'd be naked together, and if you looked over and you saw that a man was not circumcised, you would say, not a Jew. So the Judaizers were coming to the Gentiles who had just come to faith and said, listen, our hope is in Jesus, but you don't receive that hope unless you're Jewish first. So you need to stop eating pork. You need to start taking a Sabbath. And oh, you guys, you should probably get circumcised. Actually, you have to get circumcised. And all of the men went, nope. Every single one of them. And Paul was coming out and Paul, who was a Jew, was going into the Gentiles and saying, all you need is faith in Jesus. You don't need to be Jewish. You don't need to get circumcised. Just follow, have faith in Jesus. That's it. And the Judaizers hated Paul. They started going and talking trash about Paul because, and here's what was going on in their mind. In their mind, Paul did not believe the right thing, therefore he didn't belong. And he was causing people to become the wrong thing. And so the entire New Testament or Paul's writings are all about how our faith is in Christ alone, that we are saved through faith in Christ. That's it. Not through Jesus plus Moses. It's Jesus plus nothing. Now here's the difficulty. Here we are 2,000 years later. I have never had somebody come to my church and say, Jason, um, I get that you're all about Jesus, but are you having people circumcised? No one's ever said that to me. But you know what people do say? And I see this. I've seen it at Zion. I've seen it at First Baptist Church where I got saved. I've seen it at the Charismatic Church. Hey, uh, you're, I know you're Jesus, but are you a good Lutheran? We need to make sure we need to make good Lutherans. That's our goal. 
I want you to hear this. At the end of the day, I'm not trying to make you better Lutherans. I'm trying to help you become better followers of Jesus. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. Have you spoken in tongues? Are you charismatic enough? Do you raise your hands in worship? Are you at the right service? Are you Baptist enough? See, that's how we become modern Judaizers. Oh, so-and-so became a Christian, but you know what? They still have a really potty mouth. Last time I checked, it wasn't Jesus plus clean language that saves you. Jesus plus nothing. And the Judaizers had come into the early church to these Gentiles, and they started twisting the gospel And because they were so new in their faith, they didn't know the difference. And so you had Gentiles that were leaving the faith, but you also had Gentiles who were like, well, I should probably get circumcised then. And so Paul is talking to this church in Galatia saying, no, 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 no. Why are you so quickly abandoning? Which we'll get into that in a little in the next couple of weeks. But here's the part that comes in. When we look at this, what they're really going after is Paul's authority. And I want you to hear this, okay? My authority to preach the gospel did not come because I have a piece of paper that says Masters of Divinity. Paul's authority did not come because he was Jewish. The authority and the power of the gospel message of Jesus doesn't come from Paul or me or you or a denomination or a school or a style of worship. It comes from Jesus. That's it. When you preach the message of the gospel that Paul brought, Paul was just pointing people back to Jesus, not to Paul. That's our goal. Our goal is Jesus. What's our goal? That's what we're trying to accomplish. So when somebody comes in, we want them to have an encounter with Jesus, not with Jason, not even with Zion. We want them to walk out and go, wow, there was something different. And then we point it back and say, that's Jesus. And the Judaizers didn't want that because in their mind, Paul was not a legitimate apostle because he didn't walk with Jesus personally. Now, I had my calling. I knew at 15 years old that I was called to be a pastor. 15. And, and I'll tell you, I'm going to share a story that I didn't share for a service, so they missed out, but it's okay. Um, how many of you ever had people who've spoken over your life and what they, what they spoke over you was instead of increase, they spoke decrease? Instead of elevating you, they wanted to discourage you and bring you down. How many of you ever had people speak like that? I'm not going to ask you how many of you have ever spoken like that because all of us have. Someone who was very near and dear to me when I was about 17 years old and I knew I was called to ministry. I knew God had called me. And this woman who I love to this day, I still love her. She said one of the most painful words of my teenage years. Jason... Some people are just meant to be gas attendants. Now, there's nothing wrong with that profession. It's an honor. If that's what you're doing for a living, praise God, it's a job. What she was really saying was, you don't have the right education. You don't have the right pedigree. You didn't come from the right home. You don't have, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have. And here I am 30 years later, and God has proven that wrong, not because of Jason, but because of God's grace. Here's why I share that. Some of you have lies that have spoken over you. Last week, I talked about this. Some of you have lies that are keeping you from becoming what God wants from you. You have wrong beliefs that have gotten away, that have gotten you away from your becoming. Amen? And Paul understood that. Paul understood. So in the church, this is the difference between Paul the apostles and us today. In the church, when you call a pastor, which I had my calling here, and I've been in ministry for 21 years, full-time ministry, but Zion called me and ordained me as their pastor last uh, about six, seven months ago, right? We're about ready to do the same thing for Derek, which I'm super excited about. Can we just give a thank you to Derek? He didn't know I was going to do that. <clears throat> um, we're calling. And what 
in the church, here's part of what we do. When we see a calling in somebody's life for ministry in the church, we call them as a church. And that first, that calling came from the Holy Spirit on Derek's life. Now, Derek may not have even realized it. It might have taken first for some people to say, hey, I think you're called to ministry. And eventually the Holy Spirit confirmed that. And then the community ordains. The community does it. That's how we do ordination now. In Jesus, he called and ordained his apostles. And when he met with Paul on Saul at that point on the road to Damascus, he called and ordained Saul, who later became Paul. Here's one thing I want every person in this room to hear. One of the lies that you believe right now, some of you believe, not all of you, but some of you believe, is that a calling only extends to those in ministry, in professional pastoral ministry. No, every single one of you has a calling on your life for the Lord. Every single one of you in this room has a calling to be a minister of the gospel wherever you are, whether you're working the fields as a farmer at the police department, whether you're retired or you work as a school teacher or a nurse, every single person is called to ministry. Some people are called to be pastors, but all are called. Amen? And that's part of our belief. If we don't believe that, then it shapes our becoming. Now, here's what I want to get us to, and I'm going to, I'm going to invite the team up here to get ready. Actually, no, I'm not doing that. Sorry, because we got a baptism. Whew, I almost messed up everything. Listen to what Paul says. He talks to the church in Galatia. He says, to the churches in Galatians. The church in Galatia was wildly divided between Jew and Gentile. And this division, Paul is coming and he's stepping into this division. And here's what part of it came down to. The new believers, the new Gentile converts, even some of the Jews, had forgotten the message that Paul preached. Now, I know nobody here has ever forgotten any message I've ever preached. I know as soon as you go, you walk away from here, all of you are talking about how great it was, and you remember everything I've said. No, I know that's, I forget what I preached. Like, I've gotten done, and Lisa's like, so how'd you feel it went? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm 46. Maybe it's also because at the end of the day, you know what? How many of you remember songs? There's a reason why we sing. It's easy to remember songs. It's hard to remember messages. This is also why we try and do a big idea. They had forgotten the message that Paul had preached. So if you forget what's been preached here, welcome to the club. You're not alone. We all struggle with it. You can hear an amazing message and go, he said something. I'm pretty sure it was about Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's part of it. And they had forgotten the message. All right, here's, here's what I wanted to get to before we get ready for our baptism. Okay. Listen to this first part of what Paul writes to the church in Galatians after he does, gives his little announcement. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We're going to start off with the first part. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John 5.30 that he came to do the will of the Father. Everything he did, he did because the Father told him to. And check this out. And we're going to kind of end up, we're going to end on this. But there are two sides of the gospel. And there are multiple sides, but here are two big ones. You have first the gospel of God's grace. You are saved by God's grace. It's God's unmerited favor on your life, first in our salvation, but here's the part we forget. It's also for your daily living. If God's grace is his unmerited favor, how many of you want God's unmerited favor on your everyday life? Raise your hand. How many of you want God's grace and blessing on your life over your marriages, over your children, your children's children? How many of you have jobs right now where you're like, God, I need unmerited favor over my job? How about your finances? Anybody here struggling financially? You don't have to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but... My daughter, of course. You don't even have a job yet. Come on now. 
always count on my daughter like, that's me. You get an allowance, take it. <laughs> By the way, she's looking for a job, just letting you all know if someone wants to hire. We forget that God's grace is meant for us daily, not just for our salvation. And grace isn't just over sin, it's blessing. And if you need blessing, if you need God's unmerited favor, it starts by you acknowledging it. But then he uses that word peace. And the word peace there is not the absence, just the absence of conflict or war. It can also mean wholeness. It means things are as they should be. It's supernatural rest, completeness, blessing, and harmony in our everyday life. In Hebrew, the word is shalom. Everybody say shalom. That's peace. How many of you need peace in your life right now? How many of you need rest? Maybe you've been working for years and you're tired. Maybe your marriage is struggling and you're tired. You need peace. And here's what Paul just started. He starts off his letter by reminding us that God's grace and peace is for you today, not just for your salvation. It's an everyday occurrence that you have to lean into to inhabit the space of that in your life. And I think we don't focus on that enough. See, here's the part. Jesus wants to give you grace and peace because you're not just a servant, you're a friend. John 15, 15, I have come and called you my friend. You are friends of God, and we need to remind ourselves that we are friends of God because to be a friend of God is tov. I want to end with a quote from a guy named Tim Keller. He's a very well-known pastor. I'm going to invite Derek up here. He says this, The average person on the street believes that a Christian is someone who follows Christ's teaching and example. But Paul implies that's impossible. After all, you don't rescue people unless they are lost. They are in a lost state in a helpless condition. Paul goes then on to say this in Galatians 1, 4 through 5. Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We live in Clear Lake, Iowa. And in Clear Lake, Iowa, if you're drowning, the last thing you want is somebody saying, here, catch this book. It'll teach you on how to swim. No one's drowning. They're like, hey, wait, just move your arms faster. Jesus was not just a great teacher. He came to rescue. When you're drowning, what do you ultimately want? Your catch. I accidentally hit Trisha in the head last week. I want to say I'm sorry publicly for that. It wasn't my fault. The person in front went like this. <laughs> Jesus came as a rescuer. That's why we're here. We're not here just to learn about Jesus. We're here to be rescued by Jesus. Rescued from our shame. Rescued from our guilt. Rescued from those past lies. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Derek up, and we've got a wonderful blessing this morning.